Ready? Mm -hmm. We're talking today about the wages of sin. The wages of sin. Um, a preacher said to me here just a while back, and this is a preacher, he's another pastor of a church in our district, who said this to me that I kind of looked up to, and he said, preaching keeps me from sin. He said another older pastor told him that one time that preaching keeps him from sin, and I thought, that sounds kind of odd to hear a preacher say that just because he's doing his job of preaching, it keeps him from sin, but I got to thinking about it, and it does foster that relationship because there is time that you have to put into it that you may be out at a ball game or you may be out doing a hobby or something else that you would like to do because I used to pout when I first started pastoring. <laughs> I had to come in and sit on Saturday and look out the window all the other kids out the window playing. <laughs> I get to hear about what all you are doing out there having fun on Saturdays and I'm sitting in the office trying to figure out what I got to say to you on Sunday. Right? So, so he said that, that preaching keeps him from sin, and it's something that it, it relates to something that I've said many times that the word will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the word. It's that relationship that's really about. It's not just preaching. It's not. It's not just his word, but his word is his is his word to us. So we have that thing that reciprocates. We we speak to him, and he speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. He also speaks to us through our spirit. Right. So so when we're not obedient, it's called sin. If you're not obedient to God in any way, there's two types of sin. There's sins of commission. That means you have to do something, right? Like like commit murder or commit adultery. Those are big, easy ones that we can see. They're in the Ten Commandments. The commandments that tells us not to do those things. And if we do those things, that's a sin of commission. We committed that sin. The other type of sin is a sin of omission, right? That means we omit some of God's commands sometimes. Right? Like, fail not to assemble yourself. The Bible says, fail not to assemble. So by me saying, I don't need to go to church. I can have church at my house. I'm omitting that command of God. Right? Because the Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's good for reproof, rebuke, and correction. Right? It's good to correct us and get us back on the right track. Get us where we're supposed to be at. Amen. Are you following? That's right. Thank you, Sister Mary, for that Amen. So it's a sin of omission. We omit some of his commands. Another place that we like to do it is, is a tithe in our giving. I'm not preaching about tithe today, but here it is. In Malachi chapter 3, you can go read it for yourself. Read the whole chapter. He says that, why would you rob me? God said, why would you rob me? He already gave him a command to give a tenth of everything that they made. That's pretty strong language for God to say that you robbed him. Right? So that's a sin of omission. They did this, but they chose. He commanded them to do it already, but they chose not to do it. They chose not to give it that way. So sin, the definition of sin, is to err or offend. Sin or trespass, especially morally. Especially morally to err, to err morally. So simply put, sin is rebellion against God's law. Right? Rebellion, can I tell you this today? Rebellion, if you look it up in the concordance, is a form of witchcraft. It's a form of witchcraft, so it's rebellion against God's law. And God's laws are the standards of righteousness. It's the standard which everything has to be measured up to is God's law, right? How would we know what's right or what's wrong if we don't have the law to measure it up to? Are you following? So James 4.17 says this. I didn't give it to Herbert. Write it down. 4.17 says, for him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. That's a simple way to put it. Once you know better than do something, don't do it anymore, Right? We don't, I can put this like this, I expect more out of Joe and Grace than I do out of Jesse, right? Because he's one month old and they're four and five years old. But once they start knowing better, then they get corrected. They get that reproof, that reproof, that rebuke, that correction, right? But we have to be in God's word to know these things and know what's right from wrong. Mm -hmm. um, Romans 7, 15 says this. <clears throat> this is Paul writing this. Paul, Paul was struggling with this time. It says, 
For what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not participate, or that I do not practice. So he knows what he's supposed to be doing, but he's having a hard time practicing the things that he knows he's supposed to do. Yeah. yeah. But what I hate, that I do. But what I hate to do, what I despise, I know better than doing those things. Those are the things I find myself doing over and over. And that's human nature. It's not just Paul. If Paul struggled with it, don't feel bad that you struggle with it. I struggle with it. We all struggle with sin, certain sins, certain things that we know better than doing. We struggle with those things, right? So most of the time we struggle to keep the, the commandments because we're doing it without our spiritual help. That's where the problem lies at because we're trying to keep the commandments. We're trying to look at this. I'm talking about the difference here in the, in the law and the spirit today. It's part of what I'm talking about. But, but we're talking about the consequences of sin or the, or the, the payment of sin, right? So, so we try to keep these laws. We know the laws. <clears throat> we know the rules of God. But we want to keep these rules just by looking at the rules and knowing them in our head and trying to do these rules. Mm -hmm. It's a work. It's a work. Are you following me? So we do that and we struggle with that thing. See, he says, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't. I don't find myself doing it. So, so we know better, but then we compromise. Right? That's, that's where we live at. We know better. We know what we're supposed to be doing, but then we compromise. It's kind of like a diet. I hate the diet. I hate to fast even more than I hate the diet. But me and my wife started back on the South Beach diet Monday. And you can tell I don't have a South Beach body. <laughs> but we started on this diet again, and we went to we went to this restaurant yesterday that Caleb loves to go to. He said he loves to go there because he can make a pig out of himself. It's called Toot Toots, right? It's a plug for Toot Toots. It's a funny name. Caleb just likes to say the name, I think. However, we went there. They had meatloaf. I love meatloaf. It doesn't have green peppers in it. So we went there, and we had meatloaf without green peppers in it. They had ketchup on there. They had fried chicken. They had, And you can have meat on this diet that I'm talking about, but you can't have the bread on there, right? So I was looking, and they had fried shrimp with bread on it. it. It was good. It was all good stuff. But I got it. I had a water, though. <laughs> I did have a water. You get what I'm saying? We, we know where we're supposed to be at, but we compromise. In itself, the, the, the shrimp wasn't bad. The chicken wasn't bad. The, the meatloaf, I could even have the meatloaf. But I couldn't have the breading and the things that went with it and, and, and the deep fried stuff. And so I compromised on my diet. That's where we're at with sin. We know where we're supposed to be at. Yet we compromise. That sin just looks so good, we have a hard time staying out of it. Are you following? So, so we must overcome by building up our spirit, though, right? Galatians 5 and 8, write this down. Galatians 5 8 says, if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. You're not bound by the law anymore if you're following the spirit, if you're led by the spirit. So to do this, though, we have to build or grow by feeding our spirit. How do we feed our spirit? In the Word, right? Spending time with God, praying to God, listening to God, responding to what the Spirit says to you. Right? When that still small voice inside that speaks to you, that's good to listen to Him and make sure it check, it's checked with the Word of God. Make sure you're not hearing some other voice out there. Make sure you're not hearing your own your own wants or your own things that you want to do. Right? So, so to become, it's all about becoming Christ-like. But to become Christ-like is a lifelong process. It's something, so don't feel bad if you slip, if you've fallen. Right? If you stumble, there's nothing to be ashamed of. The shame is if you don't get back up right now and do something about it. The question is, I have a question for you today here. Do you think that one sin will keep you out of heaven? Absolutely it will. Absolutely one sin will keep you out of heaven. The Bible says it in Revelations chapter 21 and 22. Go back and read them if you'd like to. It tells you who gets into heaven and who doesn't get into heaven. It lists all sorts of sins right there. And it says those will not be there in the heaven. And I, 
I have to say this time, though, I think there's a difference in a mistake. I believe there's a difference in a mistake and a sin, though. Uh, uh, because a sin is blatant when we know better than doing something, and we do it anyway. What we were just talking about. I know what's supposed to be on my diet, but I cheated on my diet anyway. Are you following me? It's the difference in bumping into someone and saying, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, and then not doing that thing anymore, turning away from it and repenting from that thing, right? And, and blatantly running into someone and trying to run over them. There's, there's two different things there. Two different things. So when, when we find out, when, when we make a mistake, we find out we made a mistake, we apologize for the mistake, and we make it right, or we, we don't make that mistake again, we stop doing that thing. So, however, anyway, the Bible says this in Revelations chapter 21 and 22. It talks about who's getting in and who's not getting in. So... Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. I have that one back there, don't I? You got Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death. What's wage there? Think about a wage there. Wage is your pay, right? It's what you've earned. It's what we've earned. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we can't get this, this eternal life without coming through the blood of Jesus, right? There's no way to get from being that sinful person to becoming saved and on our way to heaven, to having our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's no way to get there. Make sense? There's no way to get there without, without coming through that blood. So the wages of sin is death. So what if that wage was paid immediately? Think about that. If we know, if I knew what was on my diet, and I ate a piece of fried chicken, and a lump popped out on me over here immediately, wouldn't that chicken look a lot less attractive? Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't that sin look a lot less attractive if, if the wages were paid immediately, that death was paid immediately? The wages of sin is death. We know the definition of death is the separation of something, right? The separation of something. So if that was paid immediately, it would be a lot less attractive. So in a sense, it is paid immediately, though. This is what I want to get you to understand today. There's two, there's two separations that we talk about here, though. Because think about Adam. Adam wasn't separated in the sense that he was cast in the lake of fire on the day that he sinned, was he not? But he was cast out of the garden. Right. He didn't have that. God separated himself from Adam on that day because of one sin. He separated himself from it on that one day. Adam used to come down and walk with, with uh, God came down, I mean to say, and walk with Adam in the cool evening in the garden every night. Can you imagine the confidence Adam had in that? The confidence and the faith that he had in that? And then to be thrown out of the thing over one sin. Thrown out of the thing, right? We're, we'll come back to Adam here in just a little bit, though. So in a sense, there is there, there is that death. There is that separation. And then there's the separation of, of the lake of fire. So just because you're in the church, though, just because... Not you. I'm not preaching to anybody today. Just because we're in the church, just because we're pretty good people, does that make the wages or the pay of sin any different? No. It doesn't say right here that the wages of sin are death unless you go to Grace Family Worship Center, does it? <laughs> it says the wages of sin are death. Period. That's it. The wages of sin are death. So just because you're sitting in these blue chairs doesn't make that wage or your pay any different. Yeah. Right. It doesn't excuse us. If we know for him to know what to do good and do it not to him it is sin. If we know that we're supposed to be doing something and we're not doing it, it's a sin. If we know that we're not supposed to be doing something and we're doing it, come on, work with me. It's a sin. It's a sin, right? It's a sin. And the wages of sin is what? Death. Doesn't say there's any middle ground, does it? The wages of sin is death. The wages still will be paid, though, even if we're in the church. The state, the wages, even if you're a pretty good person. 
Even if you cleaned up quite a bit, the wages still will be paid. In fact, if you're sitting in the church, you're held to a higher standard, the Bible teaches us. We're held to a higher standard. I had someone tell me one time when they learned this right here. We're sitting in the room with us right now, but I'm not going to mention their name. Said, why did you even tell me this? Why did you even tell me this stuff? Because now I'm held to a higher standard. <laughs> Some people are figuring it out. <laughs> now I'm held to a higher standard. So, so yeah, yeah we, we know these things, and, and, but, but we're kidding ourselves. Right? We know what sin is. We know what we're supposed to be doing with it or what we're not supposed to be doing with it. But we still kid ourselves. We still deceive ourselves and say, well, one piece of fried chicken doesn't hurt me. A little bit of breading on that shrimp, it ain't that bad. It's just a little bit of shrimp. It's just got breading around it. It's not that bad a deal, right? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But we're deceiving our own self. The enemy's not even having to deceive us because we've got ourselves deceived. We know better. We've been taught. We've got Bibles. Most of us have multiple Bibles. Most of us are here every week and we hear preaching. We know. We know. Uh, James 1.22 says, Be not hearers of the word only. James 1.22, if you write it down. Be not hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. If you're hearers of the word only, James said you're deceiving your own self. We have to do what the word says. or Or not do what the word tells us not to do. So... Sin got Adam kicked out of the garden. How long did that take? Immediately. Immediately. As soon as God came back that day and said, where are you at? They were hiding. They were naked. You think they could hide from God? No. No. Not a chance. Not a chance. He's hiding out there naked in the garden. So it got him kicked out of the garden immediately. Got got, got him cursed immediately. That was a separation from God right there. Wouldn't you agree? That was death. Death. Can you imagine the faith and the confidence that they had living in that garden? I mean, they lived there for years. They would have lived forever in that garden with everything supplied for beautiful, no thorns, no, no, I mean, can you imagine what it looked like back then before there was thorns and and, and the negative things that are in the world today? I can imagine it was beautiful. God wanted to be there with him and came down and walked with him every evening. And to be kicked out of that thing over eating one thing, over over eating that forbidden fruit. So, So often... We only think of sin as separated the lake of fire, but you can see in the, in the case of Adam, there's a separation before that. Now, can you see that in our lives today? When we start to sin, willingly sin, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about making a, a mistake. I'm talking about when you begin to willingly sin, there's a separation between you and God. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. Lived it before. All of us have lived it before. Yeah. It depends on how far you go down that separation on that road. Some of us have been further than others. Are you following me? Yeah. But we got to get back to that today. Yeah. We got to get back to that day. This is I'm I'm not here to get on anybody. I'm here to ask you to come back to God to make it right with Him, right? Amen. So when I'm living when I'm living right or righteous, when I'm living a righteous life, I have a confidence. This is the same confidence I've been talking about with Adam. I have a confidence that, that that's not only it, it's not about me or about my ability. It's not about another man, right? The same confidence Adam must have had walking. Every, I can't imagine getting to walk with God every day and talk to God and tell him about whatever happened on the day or whatever I was wondering about, about his creation. And he just could answer all my questions and, and tell me what he thought. And can you picture that? Think about the confidence and the confidence that we have when we're living a comp, when we're living a righteous life and we're upright before God. Think about the confidence that you have and the faith that you have and how, how your faith is boosted in that and how good you feel because I'm living for Him though it's not in me it's because of Him. 
when I had to prepare this message today, I got up at 4 o'clock this morning to come over here and get ready because I wasn't ready last night, right? Because I got a little too jealous because everybody was playing and I went home a little early. So I had to get back up at 4 o'clock in the morning this morning to come over here. And I've been here ever since then preparing this for you, so please pay attention. All right? That's just a little bit of the thing. However, so because I'm living for him, though, it's, it, it, it's not because when I was preparing this message, I had confidence in myself. It wasn't me that, that I had the confidence in. It was him that I had the confidence in. Yeah. When I saw this message, actually, he had me up at 2 o'clock this morning, and I was texting messages to myself, and they looked really silly because I can't spell that good anyway, but to be half asleep and trying to spell. <laughs> However, he gave me half the message this morning. Are you following? But my confidence wasn't in myself. It was in him. And that's where our faith, our faith needs to be in him and not in us, right? So, so my confidence is, is in him and is in his word when I'm living a righteous life. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Think about when you first got saved. Think about that. You want to change. You were hungry. You were thirsting after change. And anytime you found out there was something that you were doing wrong or anybody else was wrong, you might tell them about that too. You tell your spouse quick, probably your kids, you're a sinner. You're going to hell sometimes we did. Sometimes we do that. But we would definitely do it ourselves, and we would change those things, right? But pretty soon we get complacent. We get happy with where we're at. We get content with where we are. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And we stand still right there, and we get ourselves in trouble, though. But, but my confidence is him. My faith is in him and knowing what he's already done, not what I'm able to do or what I think I'm able to do, right? So 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. I walk by what I know, not by what I see. Wow. It doesn't matter what's going on around me, what I can see. It matters what I know, what, what, what Jesus Christ has already done for me. He's already paid the price. He's already provided everything. Right. You think something's going to happen next week that surprises him? He already knows. He already knows everything that we're ever going to need for our whole life and your children and your children's children. He knows what all of us are going to need, and he's already put it up. The supplies already put up for us. But we have to live that righteous life for him. Are you following me? Hebrews 11 and 1 says this. Faith is the substance of things. Well, I had that one board right. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith is what? Faith is the substance. Faith is a substance. That means if I have, if I have faith, I have something. I can't see it. I can't even feel it. But it's there. And I know it's there. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If I have this substance, I'm confident I have this substance. I know that I have this substance. I know there's something right here and I got it. I got my faith right here. I have my relationship with God right here is what I'm talking about. We have to have a relationship to have faith in anything. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's because of Christ. It's not because of me. It's not because of you. It's through and because of his righteousness that he gave to me. Right? The Bible says God took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he placed it on you. He placed it on me but at the very moment we were saved. It's because of that what he gave to me already, though. It's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that you've done. Right? Does that make sense so far? Am I articulating that in a way that makes sense? So summed up, I can say my faith or my confidence is completely in him because I know that he picked me up and he is my source for everything. And as long as I live for him and according to his commands, right, but not by the law, by his spirit. You see the difference there? The law doesn't have the Ten Commandments. The commandments of God don't have the power to save you. It's that spirit that has the power to save us. The spirit comes to convict 
and to convince. Amen. Convinces you that he's real first and foremost. Right. Then he convicts you and tells you, yeah. hey, that's not right what you just did there. Hey, Brenda, that ain't right. You shouldn't have said that to your husband. <laughs> Are you following me? Hey, hey, you shouldn't do that like that. Don't talk to them that way or don't do this that way. And then it's our choice then. At that time, we have a decision to make. We have to decide, are we going to run over that? The Holy Ghost is a gentleman. He'll speak to us in a still, small voice. He's not going to force. God gave you a free will for a reason. He's not going to force you to live the way he wants you to live. You have a decision to make today. Follow his spirit or else. Or else he's God. He won't be made a fool of. You may think you're getting by with something right now, but you will stand in front of him. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, as sure as you breathe, you will stand in front of God. You don't even have to believe that you'll stand in front of God. You'll still stand in front of him. And you'll give an account for everything that you knew that you were not supposed to do or that you were supposed to do, and you did it anyway. We'll all stand and give an account for that. Imagine how you'll feel on that day waiting in line if you know that there's something between you and God that you had an opportunity to get right and didn't. Think about that. They'll know. You'll know immediately, I believe, because it says he's going to put the sheep on the right side and the goats on the left side. You'll know by what side you're standing on. <clears throat> so when you're saved, you feel relief and gratitude. Though. Remember when you first were saved? You were happy and joyous, and you just wanted to tell everybody about it. And if there was anything wrong between you and God, you wanted to get it right. You got in your Bible. You read your word all the time. You were excited. You were telling people about what you were reading in your word. Are you following me? Yeah. You want to hang out with other people that were doing those things. You wanted to be in church every time the doors were open. <clears throat> you had relief. You were, you were forgiven for all your past. <clears throat> and you had gratitude. You were thankful for that. That's right. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> will, you, will that make you keep the rules any better? Maybe somewhat. Yeah. But when you're working at those rules as a thing like you're trying to earn them, you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. It takes that help from the spirit that we were talking about earlier. It takes that help. So, so, well, but but when we're saved, though, we're motivated by by love and gratitude, and and, and we're not we don't desire to get God's approval by working for the rules by trying to live up to the rules. Right? The rules don't have the power to save anyone anyway. They just let us know what is right and what's wrong. You don't get saved by your works living up to the rules. Does that make sense? Yeah. You don't get saved by living up to that. You get saved by following the Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's how you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, by following that Spirit and making corrections. You've got to be constantly making corrections, right? You've got to you be willingly and lovingly seeking God's will, right? That's what we were like when we were first saved. That's what we should be like now, submitting in a loving relationship. That's what it's about. It's about a relationship, about having a relationship with the Almighty God. He, he, he longs to have a relationship with each and every one of us. Amen. We think we're not good enough sometimes. Yeah. Or I got this wrong with me. I got that cork or this or that over there. You don't know what I've done before, preacher. Yeah. Right? He already knows. Yeah. He, he made every, every one of us a little bit different because he wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us, right? Yeah. Can I tell you today that I'm constantly amazed by God. Are you? I mean, yeah. if you're in a relationship with God, you've got to be constantly amazed with God. Just think about the way he, he, he speaks to us. Yeah. I'm a really messed up individual, to be honest with you. Amen. <laughs> True story. True story. I, I mean, I was now probably an alcoholic. I, I was on drugs. I was doing, you name it, I did it. Yet he chose me to come and pastor a church. 
called me out to go do that thing, right? The way he speaks to us, just in a still, small voice. I've never had him speak to me in an audible voice before, but he speaks to us. That's just amazing that the God of the universe who created everything chose us, and he speaks to us, right? I'm amazed by the way that he comforts us. I'm amazed by the way that he provides for us, by the way that he just shows up. Every time we need him, he shows up, and sometimes he just shows up just to show up. You can just sense his presence sometimes. You, right. you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Amen. He always shows up when we have church service here. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've been here four years now. We've been here four years now. And I've never been in a church service that I haven't felt the Spirit here. Haven't felt the Holy Ghost move. I've seen people's lives transformed that said they were atheists when they come in because the Holy Ghost showed up. Yeah. And they felt the presence of God when they came in this church. Yeah. And, and, they, and they left. They could no longer deny that God was real. They knew that they weren't drugged. They knew that no one touched them. No one done. There was no foul play involved. So they right. had to, they had to admit that God is real. Yeah, I'm amazed by the way that he just shows up like that. I'm amazed by the way he protects us and he heals us and the peace that he gives us. Peace that surpasses all understanding comes from God. Yeah. I'm just amazed by that. He wants to give that to me and the joy that he gives us. Yeah. Think about the joy of the Lord. When you really think about your experience the joy of the Lord, it'll put yeah. some pep in your step. Yeah. It will, won't it? Think about the pep that it puts in your step, but but that's not for the unrighteous. That pep that he gives to us is not for the unrighteous. It's for the righteous. The joy of the Lord is for the righteous. The ones who are living right, the ones who are doing what they know they're supposed to do. Are you following? <clears throat> that's part of the consequences of the wages of sin. If you're living in sin, you're not going to have that joy. You're not going to have that pep in your step. Tell me from experience. I'm not preaching down to you, right? You lose those things. And then there's death. The death we're talking about where you're separated from God forever. Eternity in a lake of fire. Then there's that. We're still talking about the wages of sin, right? Yes. Only two more pages left. I'm going to get you out of here. Almost time to see the kickoff. <laughs> Probably not quite. Some of y'all might need a little all the time. <laughs> So, so when we slip up, though, we have to repent. What's repent mean? If you've been here very long, you know what repent means. If you've slipped, if you've fallen, if you've tripped, whatever the case is, there's no shame in that. The shame is if you don't get back up and do something about it. But to repent means to turn around, to turn away from it. If I know I'm not supposed to go in this direction, I have to turn away from it. That's a 180-degree turn, right? It takes a 180. It has to be a 180. It can't be a compromise. If you know that you're slipping up into sin, you cannot compromise with sin. Right. We already talked about this. There's no gray area. You're either in the sin or you're not in the sin. Right? Because right? I can change direction a little bit. Right? I can think I can lay something down a little bit, but just like that fried chicken. Chicken's not bad in itself, but when you put bread in on it, you throw it in grease. It makes the fat boy fat. <laughs> you like that, babe? I like love. She loves it when I preach like that. <laughs> you get the picture. You get the picture. There's no compromise with sin. If you dabble with it a little bit, it will pull you into it. It will pull you into it. It, it, it may take baby steps. The enemy is really good at it. He, he's cunning and he's deceitful, right? And he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? That's right. Notice that word right there, kill. What's the wages of sin? Death. 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 That sin comes with an implied promise of greater good. But it's a lie. Yeah. Steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar. The devil is a liar. The enemy is a liar. Some of us have duped ourselves. Some of us allow him to dupe us. But whatever the case is, when you know that you're doing something wrong, you have to repent. 
We have to repent. It takes 180 degrees, no compromises, turn completely away from it. Otherwise, we lose the ability and that confidence, right, to know that everything's okay. That what I was talking about, that pep in your step, that joy of the Lord. You lose that. You lose that. You lose that. You lose that ability to know that everything's just going to be all right because God's got it. And he's already taken care of it. He's already provided everything for me. It's already put up in the storehouse. Are you following me? I lose that ability. I lose that knowledge. I lose that faith when I compromise with sin. So <clears throat> I lose that pep in my step. That pep in my step instead becomes a grind. Y'all know what I'm talking about. When you start dabbling with sin, instead of having that pep in my step and that happy and that, and that joyous thing I have with God, it becomes my daily life becomes a grind. I grind it out every day. Right? And then ultimately, death. Right? If you realize this all up front, though, the sin would be a lot less attractive. Yeah. Are you following me? Almost done. Almost done. <laughs> good news is, though, there's some good news. That's great news. It's the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Yeah. You ready for this? God doesn't want one to perish. Mm-hmm. You will die if you double with sin. In a couple different ways I've showed you today, I believe. I believe we made a strong case for that. So you will die, but God doesn't want one to perish. So this is your warning today. He sends preachers to preach to give us warnings. Isn't that great? Yes, amen. Because without that, we'd be in trouble. Without messages from God, without God's word, we would be in trouble. We would all be headed for death. Here's your warning today. 180 degree turn. It's going to take a 180 degree turnaround. Anything else will be unacceptable. Anything other than 180, total repentance, total and complete repentance. Anything else is unacceptable. When you stand before God on that day, you say, well, God, I kind of straightened up. God, I did pretty good with it. I only hung out with a couple people I shouldn't have been hanging out with. I only did a little bit of what I shouldn't have been doing. What do you think God's going to think of that? There's a scripture in the Bible that says God will not be made a fool. He, it says God will not be mocked, actually, is what it says. God will not be made a fool of. He keeps a very detailed accounting system. If you're sitting here today and this is speaking to you, no fears. Come to the altar and get it right. He'll forgive you of everything from here in the past. Gone. He says it's cast as far as the east is from the west. All you've got to do is live it from here forward. And when you slip up, repent. Ask for forgiveness again. Ask for forgiveness again. Come back to him again. Make it right. Being perfected is a lifelong journey. If you think you're perfect, if you think you've arrived, you're mistaken. You're sadly mistaken. The devil has you deceived. If you think that you're good enough, if this message spoke to you today, could you come to the altar? If you've got something between you and God that you need to get right, come to the altar today. Let's get this fixed. 180 degree turnaround I'm talking about. Come on, there's more of you than that. I know there's more of you than that. The Spirit's, the Spirit's speaking to me here. Come to the altar. It should be full right now. 180 degree turnaround. You've got to be willing to lay it down. Willing to be man or woman enough to say, I know that what I've been doing is wrong, or I know that what I haven't been doing is wrong. I know that my actions aren't right with God. And God, I want to get it right with you. I don't want to compromise one more minute. I don't want to leave this church one more time and go back out to where I was at. No more compromise. No more compromise. Whatever it takes for you to get right between you and God, get it right. Get it right. Thank you for the people who stepped out with us today. Thank you for this, Father. We praise you for this, Father.
Thanks. Pray with me. Would there be one more? Would there be one more? One more question for you. If you're sitting here today, could I see by show of hands that you know that you're saved? Everybody who's saved? Everybody knows that they passed away today, that they go to heaven? Thank you for the hands. That's a beautiful sight. Everybody in the house is saved. Thank you, Lord. We praise you for this, Dad. We cannot wait to close the prayer. If you're at the altar and we're done praying, please don't let us disturb you. Go ahead and pray. Give all the time you need to God. If you need to leave some baggage at the altar, leave it at the altar. Don't pick it back up and leave with it when you go out. Leave it here. God will take care of it for you. Are you following me? He'll, he'll, he'll burn up anything we want to give you. Let's go ahead and close. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. But after we pray, church, exit quietly because we don't disturb people at the altar. Father, we thank you for this day, Daddy. We praise you, Father God. Lord, we, we just magnify your name today. We thank you for your presence here, Lord, that you just pour out your spirit here upon all flesh, Daddy. Every time that we gather here, Father, we thank you for that, Dad. Lord, I pray for the ones who are at the altar today, Lord. I pray that you would touch each and every one of them, Lord, and convict them, Lord. Convince them, Father God, that there is no substitution for you in this world, Father God. That there, there is no more compromise in their life, Father God. That, that, that you would set new fires in us. Even in through the seats, Father God, didn't come to the altar, Lord. Set new fires in our hearts today, Lord. Set new fires in us, Father God, that we cannot contain, Lord. When we leave this church building today, Father God, that it only spreads, Father. It spreads to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, to the people we meet today, Father God. Lord, I pray this to you in Jesus' mighty name, Father. Lord, I pray that you would bind this body together, Lord, this spiritual body, this church we're talking about here, Father. Bind us together in an atmosphere thick with love, Daddy. Thick with love, Father God. Lord, cause us to realize that we are part of the body, Lord. Whether we're in the church or whether, whether we choose to stay home for the evening, whatever it is, Lord, that we're still part of the body, Lord, that we're still needed here, Father. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to realize that, Daddy. Lord, I pray that you would just protect this body, Lord, spiritually, first and foremost. Protect us from sin, Lord. Protect us from evil, Father God. Quicken us when something's just not right, Father. Show us not to go down that path, Lord. Lord, I pray that you protect us physically, Father God. Just protect us from, from sickness, from, from disease, Father God. Protect us from harm, Lord, injury, Father. And I pray that you protect us financially, Father God. Lord, just bless everything that our hands touch, Father. Multiply, multiply, Lord, for your kingdom, Father God, so we can be givers, Daddy. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray for you, Father. Have your way on this day, Lord.